welcome to Easy, Easy Bake, Bake Takes, Takes, the podcast, where we read you the one-star reviews of your favorite movies and more. My name is Kat. And I'm Riley. And today, following our theme of movies that wanted to wanted us to get into film. Yeah, they encouraged us to get into <laughs> They encouraged us to... You can do it. You can do it. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it and thought, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, I can make that. I picked Little Miss Sunshine. Before we start, I do want to give just a warning. There is talks about suicide. The reviews we get into talk about it a little bit. So I just want to give a warning before we start with that. Yeah. But to start off, Little Miss Sunshine premiered in 2006. This was a Sundance film. What? <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> it's rated R and it's an hour and 41 minutes. So we'll go ahead and start with the plot. Cheryl Hoover is an overworked mother of two living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Her gay brother, Frank, an unemployed scholar of Peru's is temporarily living with a family after having attempted suicide. Cheryl's husband, Richard, is striving to build a career as a motivational speaker and life coach. Dwayne, Cheryl's Nietzsche-reading teenage son from a previous marriage, has taken a vow of silence until he can accomplish his dream of becoming a fighter pilot. Richard's foul-mouthed father, Edwin, lives with the family after being evicted from a retirement home for snorting heroin. All of the daughter of Richard and Cheryl and the youngest of the Hoover family is an aspiring beauty queen who is coached by Edwin. All learned she has qualified for the Little Miss Sunshine beauty pageant being held in Redondo Beach, California in two days. Richard, Cheryl, and Edwin want to support her and Frank and Dwayne cannot be left alone so the whole family goes. Because they have little money, they go on an 800-mile road trip in their yellow Volkswagen van. Family tensions play out along the way amidst the aging van's mechanical problems. When the van breaks down early on, the family learns that they must push the van until it is moving at about 20 miles per hour before it is put into, a, into gear, at which point they have to run to the side door and jump in. Later on, the van's horn starts honking unceasingly by itself, which leads to the family being pulled over by a state trooper. Throughout the trip, the family suffers numerous personal setbacks and discovers their need for each other's support. Richard loses an important contract that would, would have jump-started his motivational business. Frank encounters the ex-boyfriend who, in leaving him for an academic rival, had prompted his suicide attempt. Edwin dies from a heroin overdose, and the family has to smuggle his body out of the hospital. <laughs> During the final leg of the trip, Dwayne discovers that he is colorblind, meaning he cannot become a pilot. This prompts him to finally break his silence and loudly elucidate his disdain for his family, though he apologizes after all of calms him with a hug. After a frantic race against the clock, the family arrives at the pageant hotel. The other contestants are slim, sexualized preteen girls who perform elaborate dance numbers with great panache. Nope, panache. With great panache. <laughs> Panache. <laughs> with great pancake. <laughs> Sorry. Richard and Dwayne realize that the amateur Olive is certain to be humiliated and try to talk her out of performing. Cheryl insists that they let Olive be Olive, and Olive goes on stage, revealing her unseen dance routine and that Edwin had taught her to be a striptease performed to a Rocco sound revamp of Rick James' Super Freak. Despite the other girls being over-sexualized, Olive's burlesque performance horrifies most of the audience and organizers who demand Olive to be removed from the stage. The members of the Hoover family join Olive on stage and dance alongside her to show there was support. The family is later released from the hotel security office on the condition that Olive never enters a beauty pageant in California ever again. Piling into a van with the horn still honking, they happily smash through the barrier of the hotel's toll booth and begin their trip back home to Albuquerque. She's alright, <laughs> the girl's alright with me, yeah. 
That's good. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we have directors Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, and we have writer Michael Arnant. And we have our cast. We have Abigail Breslow, who plays Olive, Greg Kinnear, who plays Richard Hoover, Paul Dano, who plays Dwayne, Alan Arkin, who plays Edwin Hoover, Tony Collette, who plays Cheryl, Steve Carell, who plays Frank. We have Brian Cranston, who plays Stan Grossman. We have Beth Grant, who plays the pageant official, who was in Donnie Darko last week for our episode. Uh, we also have, I forgot his name, the guy who played Hank in Breaking Bad is also... Yeah, yeah, he's the cop. He's the cop. He's the, cop. He's the state trooper in this movie. I forgot to include him. I don't know where he is. Half of the Breaking Bad cast in this movie. And then uh, we have some trivia. The production crew made sure Abigail Breslin really was listening to music in her headphones to keep her from hearing Alan Arkin's profanity lay scenes. Oh, she's just going super freak super freak. <laughs> she really was just like not be, not hearing what he was saying which i love mm-hmm. all the girls acting as participants in the little miss sunshine beauty pageant except for abigail breslin were veterans of real beauty pageants i could tell yeah <laughs> yeah they wore the same costumes including hair and makeup and performed the same talent routines as they had in their real life pageants that makes sense they all seemed very professional mm-hmm Steve Carell at the time he was cast for Little Miss Sunshine was a relative unknown in Hollywood. According to an article in Entertainment Weekly, producers of the film worried that he wasn't big enough to star and didn't have much acting experience. However, between the time the film was shot in the summer of 2005 and its release in the summer of 2006, Carell became huge success as the star of the high-grossing film The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which came out in 2005, in August 2005, and the leading character of the popular NBC Emmy-winning television series The Office, which premiered in March 2005, and for which Carell won a Golden Globe in 2006 for Best Lead Actor in a Comedy Television Series. In the span of just one year, Carell had become such a star that the producer had gone from protesting his casting to tapping him to do prominent promotion for the film. That's just like interesting timing of his career too. Yeah, just fascinating because I always wondered, I was like, yeah, he was in the office at that point and he had made a few movies at that point. Yeah, you had to think about filming time. Yeah, I know, exactly. That makes it seem like he was just like taking anything he could get to like not like anything he could get but he was like taking on a bunch of projects at the same time definitely but like in the most successful way possible mm-hmm. the quote-unquote heroin grandpa snorts in the bathroom in the beginning of the movie is actually crushed up vitamin vitamin b tablets yeah because they can't i think they do that for coke too because they can't they can't I mean, have actual heroin oh well, yeah <laughs> it's like there's only so many things you can snort without killing yourself on accident yeah or like really hurting yeah there was a kid who crushed up smarties and snorted them in math class once so do you remember when kids used to like they would break them up in the smarties wrapper and you if you like inhaled it and exhaled it looked like you smoked like you were smoking i don't remember that that? all you weren't a bus kid so i I don't think you saw that no (laughs) shit i was a bus kid so i saw that (laughs) at one point the bus driver stopping me like what the fuck are you guys doing And they're like, oh, it's just Smarties. Like, he was like, okay. Um, Stop. <laughs> Stop. You're fucking dorks. Okay. No kidding. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> Michael Arndt had to quit his job as Matthew Broderick's assistant to write Little Miss Sunshine. Good for him. The movie took five years to make, mostly due to financial reasons. Probably just mostly getting it, um... Getting it off its feet. Yeah. Bill Murray was the original choice to play Frank. The second choice was Robin Williams. That's a little old for Frank. 
grandpa maybe i think that would have been a good choice in the 2000s they were a little younger still a little old though bill murray's never been young in my mind no he's also an asshole so i don't want him to have played frank robin williams i would have been oh that would have been fantastic it's the sister's brother so it's like as long as he's younger looking than the like the grandpa yeah than the grandpa so i think robin williams would have been fine i just don't like bill murray so i don't want him to play him and i get that i get that movie story is inspired by an event from michael ernst's childhood where his family drove 600 miles in a vw bus with a broken clutch that's cool not cool but like that's it that's funny that that actually happened to his family i wonder if he had to do like the actual like running into the bus kind of thing probably while filming in a convenience store in santa clarita california a paul dana look-alike walked in dana was late and unaccounted for so everyone thought the look-like was dano after he explained that he was not dano they took some pictures and sent him on his way (laughs) (laughs) you look like him though yeah i love how they took some pictures and sent him on his way like they kidnapped him didn't let him go and after they were done let him like just let him loose i mean it's a film set so he probably wasn't too upset that he was like there no i'm sure it was fine i just love the wording of it yes it just sounds like they're like okay go (laughs) go now you're free i really want to find those pictures i want to see how much he actually looked like dano oh this is a kind of a sad fact so brace yourself oh good the film was dedicated to rebecca anito the 14 year old niece of producer peter seraph who was killed in a traffic accident in 2005 she appeared as an extra in scenes at pan's restaurant and the convenience store it's not that I included because it was important. It's important. So the whole the movie is dedicated to Rebecca. It is, but how dare you? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is another Up episode. <laughs> oh, this is cool. Five identical Volkswagen Type 2s were used during filming. Uh, Can I have one? <laughs> you have five? How did you find that many? How do you find that many? How are they all? I want one. I want one so bad. If there's one car I can get, it's this fucking car. Yeah. All four members of the top bill cast have been nominated for Oscars, including Abigail Breslin, who was nominated for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for a performance in this film. As of 2021, Paul Dano has yet to receive an Oscar nomination. And it's not that he's bad at anything. It's just, I always forget that he's in things. Not to hit, like, I just didn't realize I knew who he was because everyone was like freaking out over him being in the the newest Batman movie. And I was like, I don't know who the fuck that is, but everybody's excited. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw him, I was like, oh, I do know who that guy is. I just don't know his name for some reason he's so good as a supporting actor he's usually a supporting actor he's never the main character but he's so good as a supporting actor yeah he's good he's good at what he does yeah he is very good at what he does i love paul dano so that was all my trivia i really want to hear what you think because last week you told me you had never actually watched this movie so i'm yeah. really really excited to hear what you think so i have definitely seen a lot of clips from this movie i realized like i had seen the like Dwayne freaking out but this was it's it's one of those things where like you hear about a movie you kind of have this idea in your head of what you think it's going to be about this one kind of like went along with like what i kind of thought they were doing i knew they were doing something for all of this movie gives me very much like skeleton twins kind of mm. energy Mm, yeah that's another favorite i do want to do like soon we should do in the future yeah definitely that's a good movie i said it's quirky emotional and crass the riley trifecta (laughs) yep (laughs) oh i said how dare you make me watch this because it was sad also there's soup john stevens in it so you know it's quirky Mm -hmm. (laughs) like when chicago starts playing i'm like ah shit (laughs) oh damn it I said, love me some Greg Kinnear, even when he's playing a dick. He is so hard to love in this movie. Not until the end, really. Yeah. But I do love like a dad journey in a movie, you know? Those are always so emotional. Yeah. 
Definitely. He comes around. He comes around. He does. He's like, you know, he's got his own shit that he needs mm-hmm. to, to work through. Let's see. What else did I say? I put body image and then like the emoji. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Like the tongue tongue out, head tilted to the side emoji. I love the conversation around that though, too. Yeah. You know? I loved the part where she's talking to Miss California and she's like, oh, I love ice cream. I eat ice cream all the time. It's such like a, like that, that part with the dad saying that they'd be so upset mm-hmm. to just hear. Cause I know that's like, that's reality. It's reality. I love that the rest of the family was in opposition to it. Like that made me really happy. Cause yeah, like that's a, that's such a reality for little girls, especially with like what she wants to do. If you're a lady or you grew up as a girl in some way, it's relatable in that way where, you know, it's always something that even when you're a little kid, somebody is going to be trying to make you feel a certain way about your body. Absolutely. <laughs> it just makes you want to cry. Yeah, it, <laughs> it does. Makes you just want to scream. Also, when they're in the hospital waiting to hear what happened to the grandpa, I was like, he better be dead <laughs> because... <laughs> I'm I'm crying right now, and if this is like a silly little joke the movie's playing, where he's like, "Ha ha, not dead." You know, movies do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And especially a quirky, goofy movie like this, and mm-hmm. the grandpa being quirky and goofy, I was like, if, he, if they walk in there, this motherfucker's <laughs> alive. I'm gonna be pissed off because I'm crying right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a rough. See the the hospital scene. Actually, go ahead. Keep going. I'm, the, the, I'm the, go ahead go ahead because the I, hospital scene never gets me because maybe the first time around i didn't know what was happening but it's the motel scene where he's telling all of you know you're, you're the most special beautiful girl and he, he loves her and he supports her he's like i love you not just because that mm-hmm. it's honestly that scene makes me cry harder than anything just like yeah. she's so worried about losing and he tells her there's there's nothing wrong with losing there's it's 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 worse to not try than to not win yeah and that being his last scene on screen, it's poetic in that way. It's just like, that was his last moment. His last moment was telling his granddaughter how amazing she is. Yeah. That's a good life right there. That's a good way to end it. Honestly, I think that's the most beautiful way to end, I guess, a character's life. I think what got me with the hospital scene is just like thinking about the fact that she was the one that discovered him and she had mm-hmm. to find him dead. That got me. That's what got me. And like whenever uh, Dwayne's like, go hug mom. As a little kid, like you don't realize how important that is and like what that means to your parents in the moment that was what made me emotional yeah oh no i get that yeah because like you could see in her mom's face too like she needed that hug Mm -hmm. she wants to make sure her kids are okay but it's because she's not okay either yeah no one is no one is at this point everyone's broken at that point in the movie the thing about like quirky emotional movies is like the pacing is good enough to keep you like not to dwell in the really sad moments for too long it does it does volley you back and forth Mm -hmm. but because it's like it goes from okay well now we gotta steal his body so um (laughs) now now they gotta shove his body through a window and catch it and put it in the (laughs) <laughs> yes. But then after that, Dwayne finds out that he's colorblind and can't be a pilot. Breaks his vow of silence, screams at his family, calls them all losers, which they are. <laughs> and yeah. he's not wrong in that scene. He's upset, yeah. but he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. And uh, another like emotional thing, like emotional in the happy way was like them all dancing on stage with her. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world be damned. Whatever else, like we're here for you right now. And... Like, they don't even know what that's doing for themselves, too, to be yeah. up there with her and, like, give up any inhibitions and just be like, we're just going to be up here and embarrass ourselves with our kid. Because nothing matters anymore. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. This Fuck is the this only pageant. thing that matters. There's a point in this movie where nothing It's after Grandpa dies, basically, something switches in Dad's mind where the only thing 
the next priority is getting Olive to this beauty pageant. Because mm-hmm. that's that's what his dad would have wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the only thing this family has left to do. <laughs> yeah, this is the only other goal in the movie. <laughs> the mo- They are falling apart at the seams. They have to make it to the beauty pageant. Yes. My favorite thing in movies like this, like whenever it's just like a, a cast of characters that the rest of the world rightfully is like what the fuck <laughs> and then there's like the guy at the beauty pageant who's like i'm not gonna be working here next year i'm just gonna yeah and he's just like the only one clapping at the end of their dance like i love a character like that in the movie who's like i don't give all don't of you guys are shit. being <laughs> you're being too serious this is a child's beauty pageant and you're acting like this is the miss universe pageant well and that whole scene we're seeing this beauty pageant we're seeing these girls dress in bikinis getting spray tanned uh yeah but what all's doing is inappropriate really yeah okay so this is weird because she's but not what y'all are doing because hers is a little forefront like Mm -hmm. satire (laughs) satirically inappropriate (laughs) and everybody else like these little girls in swimsuits and faces full of makeup and a weird host singing them a kind of creepy song right in their faces that's not weird but okay no, that's not weird but all okay of, <laughs> it's not saying what all is doing it's not inappropriate but how is it more inappropriate than what y'all are doing yeah exactly yeah and i do think the part where uh the dad turns and he's like do you have a kid in this pageant <laughs> yes. To the guy yes he's like what are you new here <laughs> i love that he's the one that goes yeah uh-huh. at the end <laughs> Do you have a kid in this pageant? <laughs> I feel like that's not a question you go around asking a beauty pageant because you don't want to yeah. know the answer. <laughs> that's, oh, that's awful. That is awful to think about. That's like a whole thing with pageants too. Mm-hmm. Like that adds to the like, what are we doing here kind yeah. of thing with it. It's like, I understand if they're like adults in a pageant. Yeah, that's one thing. That's different. And like that has its all other <laughs> thing of issues. Yeah. But this was a very emotional movie. It's it's definitely like if I had seen this earlier, I definitely would have loved it too. Mm-hmm. It hits the right beats for me for this type of movie. Like I said, it reminds me of Skeleton Twins a lot, and that is one of my favorite movies. So I enjoyed it. I'm glad you did. Um, I didn't think you would dislike it. It'd be kind of weird if I did. It would be weird, and I'd be I'd probably be more angry than Jurassic Park, honestly. Yeah, that's understandable. I would have to like. I, I don't know. Would you be more mad if I hated it or if I was just didn't have any feelings about it? Yeah. Yeah. If you were mad about this movie, I'd be like, oh, that's a we have to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy it a lot. I definitely could see how I would enjoy it even more if I had watched it at a younger age. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. It would have formed your ma- mind too. <laughs> yeah, I could see the effect it would have on me. <laughs> what age did you watch this at? Oh, I want to say. Were you like Olive's age or? No, I was a little bit older. I was probably middle school age. I was probably middle school age when I first watched this. So Seems like a a, a formative time. Yeah, my parents were like, let's watch this movie. It's a great movie. My parents already seen it. They loved it. It is one of my favorite movies. I think it's hilarious. I think it's also just like so real. Not only is dialogue, but just like in life too. Like they're all rock bottom in this film. Yeah. Or, Or just going through a rough time rock bottom but they all are so willing to make sure that 
all of achieves a dream of hers like yeah they're so willing to help her out even though they're all at this like rock bottom place they're like well we're not gonna let her be at rock bottom she deserves better exactly she's she's the glue she's the driving force and also she is the youngest yes she's so full of life compared to everyone else everyone's so jaded and tired and exhausted and annoying (laughs) in their own ways but all of this just so pure yeah and i think i think i kind of get what you're going for with paul like paul dano's character even he can bend to her like childlike sweetness she's her little sister he's not immune to her either even he as a 15 year old understands this kid's still got her whole life ahead of her let's make it the best that we can make it exactly there's so many favorite scenes but like with his breakdown after he screams fuck which i think is one of the greatest fucks in the being said in a movie ever (laughs) after his breakdown best best actor anger moments (laughs) paul davis every time i wake up out of nowhere that got me so bad <laughs> oh my god that was so good that was so good um, um yeah great paul dano scene but i love it when he says that and he yells at everyone and he doesn't want to move they don't know what to do all all she does is come up and hug him and he's like okay <laughs> And then he helps her up the hill, which is so cute. I just love it so much. Like I said, with the the mom needing the hug too, it's like, as a kid, you don't realize how much that actually means to somebody. Sometimes they just need a hug. No, someone's there. Like, yeah, they just need support. And I also like kind of imagine that Olive is kind of like how you were as a child. Aw, thanks. <laughs> just like dorky yet confident little little goober. Dorky, clueless, mm-hmm. absolutely just, I don't know what's going on around me. <laughs> I'm lucky I didn't get left behind in gas stations. I wandered, I wandered those aisles. <laughs> I'm glad someone remembered me. <laughs> Because I didn't remember anyone else. That's how that's how I imagine little Riley. I, I must I must have been very similar. Happy and clueless. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, <laughs> what else about this movie? I love the broken van. Uh, also, this like the Volkswagen. Such a classic. Classic. Loved it. I've always wanted since the moment I watched this movie. I was like, I want that car. I want that car so bad. And it's such an indie movie, like where they have to jump into the car because it's broken. It's just like mm-hmm. great music playing at the same. Like in that scene, I love scenes like that. I am such a sucker for scenes like that. It adds nothing to the story other than like the quirkiness to it. Mm-hmm. Everyone is amazing in this film. No one, no one does a bad job. That was the other thing I was gonna say. Uh huh. Um, so the scene where Paul Dano is like yelling at the family, mostly because Tony Collette's right next to him kind of yelling at her when i was watching that part i was like you're telling me this isn't that hereditary y'all been talking about (laughs) so many people kept going one day tony collette will find a functional family in a movie (laughs) i have your mother (laughs) i just kept imagining that as he was yelling at her listen you little shit shit. i have your mother Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I have so much more to talk about it, but the critics and audience reviews are going to bring those up. So we'll talk about it. I'll go, I'm going to go ahead and deep dive into the critic reviews. Yeah. I saw Mr. Propes in there. It's probably one of my favorite reviews from him. It's a little bit on the longer side, but it's beautiful. Interrupt me if you want to point out something. Yeah. So we're going to start with our critic reviews with Richard Propes. It starts with, I sat down last night and had a good cry. This good cry began with the first two minutes of Little Miss Sunshine, the debut film from music video and commercial directors Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, and was intertwined with moments of deep, almost outrageous, heartfelt laughter, authentic internal processing, and pockets of grief, rage, release, and ultimately hope. 
Any year of such great dark comedies as The Devil Wears Prada and even darker Thank You for Smoking, Little Miss Sunshine comes along and practically defines the concept of a darkly comic yet uniquely honest film. What a good year for movies. Devil Wears Prada and Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. <laughs> really good year. There are films that, when we watch them, become more than simply movies on this really big screen. They become cornerstones on our life journey. They make us laugh, they make us cry, they make us think, and they make us look at ourselves, our families, our friends, and the world differently. For better or worse, they somehow redefine us. I've said this before, but they make us laugh, they make us cry. Always makes me think of Gru and Despicable Me. <laughs> yep. They made me laugh. <laughs> they made me cry. Oh. <laughs> Oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> As I was sitting in the theater watching Little Miss Sunshine, I found myself resonating deeply with each character's challenges and triumphs, secret vulnerabilities, and deepest desires. I understood Grandpa, a man who realizes he is on vital time and who snorts heroin more of his desire to end his life on a high, admittedly an artificial one, rather than resign to a meager existence in retirement community. Perfectly realized by the understated, pitch-perfect performance of Alan Arkin, Grandpa is both uncomfortably crude and yet remarkably powerfully present. His words, simple and sparse, are often what weave the family together in good times and bad. I didn't mention this earlier, but whenever he like comes up to Richard and he's like, hey, I'm proud of you. I know it doesn't it doesn't feel good right now, but I am proud of you for everything you've done and everything that's happened. Like that is such a weirdly rare moment that father and son have. That parents can have with their kids. Just that moment of sincerity of like, I am proud of you. Yeah, especially with like father and son. Like I, I think that's like something that most men want to hear from their father is that they're they're proud of them. And so it was like a, another beautiful moment. And he's exactly right. Like it as crude and crass as this mm -hmm. character is, like <laughs> as awful as he is, he's actually really he's trying. Yeah, he's he's he is um in a similar way to all of like the glue that keeps things together. Yeah. Oh, I love that because uh, being the oldest and being the youngest, you know, of the family. The bookends that hold everything together. Oh, yeah. And I love that scene, too, because, like, the, the dad is like, thanks, dad, at first. And then a moment passes and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he grabs his dad's hand. And he's like, yeah, thanks, dad. You know, I because he, he's almost rolling his eyes. It's like, there's no way that he's being serious right now. And it just takes a second to sink in. And, and I love that they did that because I thought they were going to leave it at, like, the, oh, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was just... Such a touching moment, this movie. Really touching many. moment. Yeah. <laughs> Another scene to make you cry. <laughs> and what's whatever. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> I scurned watching Richard, a man so committed to the process of his nine steps that he has forgotten to blend it into his own life. There is a moment late in the film when Richard looks at Olive and something clicks. He realizes, finally, what his obsession with winning is doing to his daughter, and something internally just freezes in time. This moment is the perfect acting moment for Greg Kinnear. His look, his facial expression, his eyes, his body language, and his words, again, sparse, are simple, utter perfection. Yeah, and not to stop it again, but... No, no, it's fine. It's kind of like in a weird way that when his dad passed, a part of him that like was from his dad kind of woke up something switched immediately he kind of understood his dad a little more and understood what he'd probably been trying to say to him for a while kind of like his dad passed on that job to him you need to continue what i've been doing for your daughter like be there for her encourage her let her be her i love that 
As his wife, Tony Collette again reminds all of us that she is one of the most brilliant actresses working today. Collette doesn't simply act, but she inhabits Cheryl. She wears Cheryl inside and out with a love and a passion and a devotion and a realness that made me ache for her, feel for her, and made me think about my own mother's sacrifices and hurts and dreams. In a lifetime of brilliant performances, Colette gives a performance here that almost defies words. Not to stop after every paragraph. No, but. no, I, I totally understand. I love, I want to dissect these characters so bad. I love it. Her being the one to say, like, let Olive be Olive. Personally, that resonates with me because my mom was always the one with me, at least. It's like someone else in my family was like, why does she do this? Like, why can't, like, why does she like this? My mom would always be the one to be like, just let her be her. Mm -hmm. That is something that is invaluable to have as a kid, to have a parent that's like, just let this kid be. Let this kid be themselves. You trying to change them or stop them is not going to help them in any way. It's so amazing. Important. It's so important. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Fuck you for making me watch this movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I wanted, though, because this movie does that to me. And also, as much as I say, like, Olive is, like, the glue of the family, which I still think she is. Like, Cheryl is really trying really hard to keep this family function, just functioning. Not, you know, just, like, staying alive. <laughs> yeah. The grandpa and Olive, yeah, like, they are, they are the bookends, they are the glue. But I think this kind of, the story kind of shows everybody in the family that they have an important role here. They can't do this without each other. Yeah. As the Nietzsche-obsessed son, Paul Dano could have easily resorted to a goth, detached caricature. Instead, he enriches his largely silent role with a young man of uncommon death, commitment, and sincerity. It becomes clear that, even in the midst of silence, Dwayne hates everyone because he fears himself, and more importantly, he fears himself with them. It is so right. They made a, a teenage character, like, at least he cares about something, you know? He's not this teenager who doesn't give a shit about anything. Yeah. He has a cause. Exactly. He has a cause. He has a dream. He's a very well-written teenager. Because teenagers care about shit. Might be a lot of shit you care about, but it is shit they care about. And they won't always care about it publicly. Mm-hmm. And then there's Frank. I can't say that I identify with Frank immensely. I am not gay. I am most definitely not brilliant. But wait. When Frank's facade of brilliance and academia collapsed under the weight of very real human emotions, suddenly I found myself just floored, almost emotionally numb. I remember vividly my own suicide attempt and the efforts of everyone around me to understand, console, nurture, and redefine me. I remember vividly feeling both deflated and yet oddly renewed. As Frank, Steve Carell offers a remarkable, unaffected, dramatic performance that serves notice that Carell may very well be the next comic actor to broaden his own acting horizon. Playing a character that's gone through something like that, it's hard not to resonate with a lot of people, I'll just say. Mm-hmm. He does it really well. There is this line between like the way that other people interact with you after something like this too. People don't know how to fully interact with you after you do something like that. He's still got a sense of humor about life, especially, you know, in a weird way, you kind of gain this sort of sense of humor towards life. I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, I, I get that. I definitely think that's how Frank views it too in the movie. And with Frank, you know, he can't be left alone. He, he is he's at rock bottom definitely he shows how much he's there to not only work on himself but with his family members like with Paul Dano's character and help him through what he's going through and getting all to California and you know he's the first one through those doors <laughs> running to get to that table to sign in he's going through his toughest moment in life but he's there he's there for his family and it's just it's just really amazing and it's just a great performance it, it really is and I feel like it, this gets proven wrong over and over again but like with, with 
with comic actors, like people put them in a box a lot of the time. But most of them are so capable of performances like this. Yeah, definitely. Then there is Olive. Often it is painful to watch child actors. Let's be honest. They pose, they preen, they follow direction, and they are far too young to have found their own inner voice. First notice in Night Shyamalan Signs, 10-year-old Abigail Breslin offers the second great child performance of 2006, the first being Sarala in Deepa Mehta's Water. As Olive, a child whose obsession with beauty pageants seems more a desperate plea to be special to someone, a scene with Grandpa in a motel room is both heartbreaking in terms of its emotional honesty and powerful in a way it will shape Olive in the very near future. Likewise, the look on Breslin's face as she looks around the pageant she has always dreamed of winning and realizes that she is different than these girls is like looking inside the soul of the young girl. Breslin's performance is insightful, thoughtful, and its simplicity becomes one of the most authentic performances by a young actor in recent years. God, I'm just crying thinking about her character. I know. I'm not going to say too much. Once the thought crosses your mind as a girl, am I pretty? Such like a heartbreaking moment to see in any child in general, just to like, am I special? Am I giving what the world wants? Is such like a heartbreaking realization to see a child have, especially young girls. Especially young girls. Also, like in the beginning of the film where she's like looking herself in the mirror, like, and they they say as young as six, girls worry about their weight as young as six years old. So when she's looking around, seeing all these girls and yeah, they're skinnier than she is. Like, it's, it's just heartbreaking. It's just really heartbreaking that she's judging herself like that. She's, and, and that she wants to go up on stage and be judged by others. And that's why the scene with the grandpa is so powerful. He's like, yeah, you are beautiful to me. You are beautiful, but I love you for more than just you being beautiful. There's so much more to you than that. Yeah, there's so much more. There's so much more. It's hard to not resonate with a movie like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. We're almost there. <laughs> God damn it, Richard. I know. He he really... This is why I said this is my favorite review. He really just fucking nails it. To reveal this film's journey would be unjust to you, the audience. Suffice to say that Little Miss Sunshine, unlike the award-winning Transamerica, doesn't go for histrionic humor as much as it invites humor, bursts out of the quirks, insecurities, and natural growth of its characters. In Little Miss Sunshine, the stops along the way will resonate more deeply because they are stops we all make longer road trips in life. I sat down last night and had a good cry. In fact, I couldn't even sit down at the computer and finish my review until this morning about 5 a.m. Little Miss Sunshine is that kind of film. It's the kind of film that makes you laugh, makes you cry, makes you think, and makes you feel. It presents its characters, the Hoover family, with honesty rather than hysteronics and compassion dipped with a healthy coating of life-weary cynicism. Plus, with a cast who gets it and a script that doesn't force it, Little Miss Sunshine deserves to be this season's sleeper hit. It is one of the most refreshing, honest, and magnificently realized films in recent years. Life can be a lot like the movies. We go to action movies to vent our rage and frustration and pain. We go to horror movies to explore those dark crevices in our lives. We go to comedies to laugh and at times to avoid crying. We go to fantasy so that we may dream and explore and open ourselves up. And finally, we go to films like Little Miss Sunshine to remind us that, despite everything, we're okay just the way we are. And despite all our denials, we need each other desperately. There may be better made films in 2006, but Little Miss Sunshine is the best film in 2006. David Richard. I read this at like midnight last night. I was just like, oh my god. Oh my god. How he's describing this movie is how I would describe this movie. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. That was a fantastic review. As always. As always. Thank you. This is a negative review of the film. This was written by Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian. 
America's preteen beauty pageants, are they grotesque and inappropriate or inspirational, aspirational, and generally good, clean fun? After watching this movie, I'm still not sure how directors Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris and screener Mile Arndt would reply. Most people would probably go for answer A, and the whole subject is surely clouded by the ugly unsolved murder in 1996 of John Benet Ramsey, the six-year-old child beauty queen, among whose prizes was something actually called Little Miss Sunburst. You might therefore accept this film a road movie of family dysfunction to offer the darkest black comedy on the market, yet each spike of satire is fitted with a safety cap of feel-good reassurance. I don't I don't think you need to bring poor little John Benet Ramsey into this. I don't know why this person brought in the murder of John Benet Ramsey. Um I don't know how this movie relates to that in any way other than it's a beauty <laughs> she was a beauty queen pageant. I'm not gonna lie. I did think about John Bonet Ramsey whenever the film was kind of getting into the what are we doing? It is kind of probably a coincidence that her pageant was Little Miss Sunburst. Again, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think that the filmmakers are saying anything other than answer A. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is this? I did. I just leave Jean Benet out of it. But also, there was there was like you know with the theories of what happened to Jean Benet, there are theories that it was somebody who might have been a little obsessed with her because of pageants. So I I get why she's mentioned. I just don't think we need to be dragging that poor little girl back into this. Okay, yeah. let her rest. Yeah. Did they want them to make satirical jokes about a murdered six year old? Like what I don't know fuck? what this person wanted, and it's gonna only get more confusing. And also, they hate that it's they hate that it's satire. But they also make it feel good reassurance. So this person just wanted absolute like I just want like the darkest comedy out there. What the fuck do you want? Just wait. Just wait. <laughs> Little Miss Sunshine is a genial and breezy film with a neatly engineered dramatic twist. Yet the satiric intent is weirdly uncertain. The movie is tricked out with embarrassments and Euro literary references, and the very fact that they're headed for one of these creepy kitty beauty pageants is intended to function as a continuous background guarantee of edginess and indie daring. But Little Miss Sunshine tips her trembling toe in the murky pool of implied pedophilia and anxiously withdraws it, preferring instead to convict beauty pageants as the more lenient and confused charge of being absurd, crass, and in fact, square. Dayton and Ferris suggest that Little Miss Sunshine contests with its Yankee Doodle Dandy showbizery is just plain stupid and that all his family may just be too exuberantly alternative for the lot of them. It's a strange compromise. The ambiguous approach recalls another children's striving contest currently fashionable in U.S. cinema. The spelling bee, which in the documentary Spellbound, and in the fictional features B season and Aquila and the B offers opportunities for family conflict drama. But the question of whether this hothouse event is unnatural or even abusive is raised only in order to be dispelled or effectively declared irrelevant to the larger issue of family emotions. I don't know what the fuck this person is talking about. Like he's the, Okay, they're it's kind of I think what they're saying is kind of what they were saying before. They don't know where the directors stand, and like they still like put this feel good thing. And they're saying that the movie's trying to say that they're not trying to attack the creepiness of pageants. They're trying to attack the squareness of pageants, and that their family's too weird for them. But I think we literally had just talked about they are harping on the fact that the whole thing is weird yet they still think that their family is the weird one in this situation. Even though they're being weird, they're just being weird in an organized way. <laughs> yeah. That's the part that I was just just taken aback by because I just like, I just don't understand how this person isn't getting it. Yeah. 
don't understand how they're confused by anything. They, I think they wanted them to more obviously attack pageants. They wanted them to more clearly and upfront attack pageants. This movie is not about pageants being weird. This movie is about this family's journey to get to this pageant. And then they get there and they realize, oh, it's weird to push these standards on little girls. It's weird to have little girls parade around like little adults on a stage for a bunch of adults to judge them. Mm-hmm. Them seeing our little girl is being told like this is what's right this is what she should be and they think that's weird and that's what the movie is trying to do it's not about the fucking pageant the pageant is just an extra layer of like don't tell your kid that they need to be a certain way and that they need to look a certain way and that what they are isn't perfect yeah exactly i don't know what they thought this movie was about but it is not strictly about the pageant system (laughs) like That's what they thought this movie was going to be, apparently. Yeah, I think they just had different expectations, I guess. Yeah. And then did you want to say anything about this? Um, I don't... I'm kind of confused about why they're bringing up spelling bees and movies about spelling bees. I didn't know either. And saying, like, they never, in those movies, go into how the spelling bee world might be a corrupt world. They focus on the inner family. Like, I think this person wants every movie to be a criticism of some sort of thing. But every movie is not about the world. A lot of movies are about the people and the internal journey and the interpersonal journeys that they have during the movie just because it ends at one place and the goal is to get to this one place does not mean that's what the fucking movie's about this person does not know how to watch movies is what i'm getting yeah if it was just like about a spelling bee or just about a pageant and nothing about the people participating in them and the interpersonal conflict they may fucking experience then it would be a boring movie it'd be a fucking docu even no no never mind even documentaries give you some sort of interpersonal conflict or some person's experience to tell a story about an event yeah um <laughs> sorry no i totally get that and it, that's such a good point i think with someone like this is like it's it, it almost seems like they're gonna be disappointed with any movie that doesn't want to talk about what they want to talk about yeah oh this is a good point though that i did want to talk about okay all his family all have issues or the men folk do anyway and that's something i didn't even think about literally every problem in this movie is from a man in this movie not olive not cheryl and you know the internal issues that olive has are caused by men by the patriarchy yep Mm -hmm. (laughs) i love that and i didn't even think about that every problem anyone who has an issue fucking issue in the movie is from a fucking man and the women have to solve it and they have to deal they have to deal with it they have to fucking put up with it and help them fix it oh my fucking god So I think that was actually a good point from this person. Yeah. The mom is a paradigm of harassed common sense and little all of herself. If we put aside her enthusiasm for the unwholesome beauty parade, is sweet-natured and entirely ingenuous. But Dwayne and dad and grandpa are royally screwed up. And this especially goes for poor Uncle Frank. A nice restrained performance from Steve Carell, who has to undergo a cavalry of humiliation when he is recognized by his former lover looking disheveled at a gas station just as he is buying porn. All their issues are amenable for some very convenient solutions however and there are some plot unrealities to say the least relating to legal procedures and much else unrealities with no matter how strenuously overlooked make this a faintly unsatisfying watch family is everything in the implied moral of most hollywood pictures it's starting the moral here and there's nothing so very wrong with that other than this essentially conservative picture had dressed itself up as something a lot more daring um again goes back to like You did talk about what I wanted to talk about. I don't know how you watch movies. 
or how you review movies with this kind of mentality. You missed a great movie. Yes, you missed a great, you missed enjoying a great movie with this mentality, in my opinion. I feel like you, you could have really liked this movie if you did not put so much expectations on it. Exactly. We could go on to the next one if you want, because I don't, I think I've said quite enough about that person. <laughs> no, I thought it was all good, though. I thought it was, yeah. I agree with all of it. This was much, much shorter. Okay. This person gave it a 5 out of 10, so. Okay, middle of the road. Middle of the road by Tony Medley. This film has a bad start as one could imagine. Talk about horrible pace. With a 99 minute running time, it takes 25 minutes to set it up. There is an interminable scene of the family at a meal that seems as if it will never end. Let me out of here. Had I not been reviewing the film, I would have bolted after 20 minutes. The setup is truly excruciating. However, once you make it through the first half hour, the film is relatively entertaining. Kinnear is so good, he can carry almost any film, regardless of the quality of the material. Colette is a consummate professional and holds up her end of the film admirably. But the person who really steals the film is Breslin. She has one scene in which she is required to cry that Sean Penn should be required to watch for a half hour per day. Real tears, <laughs> Sean. That's what a true actor can do. The film is a send-up of the grotesque child beauty contest in which little girls are made up to be vampy, sexy women. The little vamps are disgusting to watch, and this is a film with a message. The little girls who participate with Olive in the contest are made to look so grown up and sexy. It's freakish. The little five-year-old girls in sexy swimsuits, lipstick, and pancake makeup. Ugh. I think they said the word sexy too many times. It was, I was reading this. I'm like, I don't want to read this, but like. <laughs> they they could have made that point without saying sexy so many times. Like, yeah, they're made to look grown up. Could have been enough. Yeah, that was fine. <laughs> yeah. But okay. We get it. We get it. Mm -hmm. You don't like children. <laughs> Say it one more time. We'll really believe you after that. Call a child sexy one more time. Let's see. We'll really believe you after that one. Yeah. <laughs> on, the on the way, however, each member of the family except Cheryl must come face to face with these expectations and goals and face rude awakenings, all of which impact the family unit. These B stories are really the main theme of the movie. This is not bad after the first half hour, but it is a dire need of good editor. I completely disagree. <laughs> I could get, like, maybe you're not a person who needs that kind of setup. I don't think it bothered either of us, clearly. But, like, you know, if that's your critique and you still liked the rest of it, fine. Yeah. But they still gave it five and a half, a five out of ten stars. So it's like, I mean, y you liked something about it. Yeah. They clearly enjoyed the film. You know, whatever. It, it does, it does, like, I don't think it's a pacing issue for me personally, but it does have a slower start to get into things to where, yeah, like, they, they don't hit the road for a little bit. I get it. Personally, I think it's needed. And I know that there are other ways they could have done that, but, like, whatever. And I love the family meal scene. I think it, it, you get to see everyone for who they are at the start of the film. Like, you get to see how insufferable Richard is <laughs> at the beginning of the film. You get context for what Frank is going through. You get to see Cheryl being a mom like again if you hated the first half hour but loved the rest of it fine it's not the worst of what we've heard it's not the worst of what we heard <laughs> yeah. I disagree with the fact that like they would have left the movie 20 minutes in and wouldn't have given it a chance I think that's very telling for you as a person if you're not going to give a movie a chance outside of 20 minutes they at least get halfway through the fucking movie before you give up on it it's an hour 40 minutes it's not that long yeah it's not terrible it's not two hours mm -hmm. i'm gonna move on to our last one it's a positive one lives of sunshine holds up 13 years later they wrote this around i think 2017 or something like that or 2019 i forgot which one i can't do math i'm not going to uh that'd be 2019 nice written by danielle solzman Here's a film that isn't afraid to be open about depression and sexuality. Think about it. This is a film produced in 2005. 
This was a time period when talking about depression was largely seen as a stigma. How many families would tr truly be comfortable to discuss these subjects with their seven-year-old daughter? It's honestly insane. Even though they do try to shut the conversation down, it's also allowed to play out. That's a really good point. And yeah, like I like that they had the inclusion of like one parent being like, ooh, ooh, and then the other parent being like, you said, like if they're old enough to ask about it, they deserve an answer. Mm-hmm. While doubling as a family road trip film, Michael Arndt's very smartly written script can also be seen as a subversion of child beauty pageants. The film does follow the road trip cliches, but manages to have some fun along the way. There may not be a dog dying from running behind the vehicle like in vacation, and with death and being stored in the back of the Volkswagen comes pretty darn close. <laughs> it's just one of the many reasons why Loma Sunshine succeeds as it does. Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Varis direct a star-studded cast of performers here, Alan Arkman, who would win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, delivers a masterful performance as a drug-addicted grandfather. Aguil Breslin, also nominated, delivers a breakout performance. All of the performers here are working off of Arne's Oscar-winning screenplay. At the time of release, people were familiar with Carell's comedy work. Carell was a veteran of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and recently started up on The Office. He could also be seen in The 40-Year-Old Virgin and Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. So naturally, one would expect the outlandish style in his approach. Instead, we get a more grounded performance by Carell, and the film is all the better for it. I do agree, like, his performance of this movie is, like, nothing else, like, we've ever seen from him, and he's just really amazing in it. He really is. He really is. Yeah, I think that this person makes a lot of really good points about the movie. I forgot that Steve Carell was on The Daily Show. Oh, yeah, he started way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for the honest reviews? Yes. 10 out of 10. The story of a young girl who wants to be in a beauty pageant. This was on IMDb. This was written in 2006 when it came out. I went to a screening of this film at Sundance earlier this year. This is what I wrote out about it immediately falling. This was a little less indie cast-wise, but as jarringly real in a way that Hollywood rarely fosters. The stories of a limply functional family whose good luck is dysfunctional, and the way that their love for each other is solid, somewhere underneath the varying shades of crazy. This film. Oh, this film. I have never laughed harder, and at such true-to-life comedy, nothing silly or goofy or forced or fake about the lines. It felt more like watching a documentary, minus all the familiar faces. And every time the laughter became almost unbearable, a little dash of agony, or melancholic sinus was thrown in and spawned aching tears. I still sigh, thinking of how completely in control of my insides that cast, that writer, that director all were. They owned my ass, and I will love them forever <laughs> for it. I can't wait to see it again. Do not miss it. Yeah, I could, I could see how it feels kind of documentary-ish, too. Yeah, I, I get that. I get all the things they're saying. And yeah, it's true. It's like, what, even when you're laughing, like your side hurts, but then they just, they throw in something sad or melancholy. Well, you said it earlier. It's kind of like whiplash with this movie a little bit. Like, you will have... The funny scene will happen and then immediate it turns to like melancholy sadness and then we're back at the bottom you know like that's very true for this movie this movie is very back and forth but like in the in the most flowing easy whiplash is probably a wrong way because <laughs> wrong way to say it but um it, it's a it's an emotional roller coaster but like it's, it's smooth it's not it's not jarring. It's purposeful. Yeah, exactly. This next one is five stars from Letterboxd. I can't believe this movie simultaneously caused and cured my depression. <laughs> That's literally literally me with every movie I loved as a teenager. Yep. I'm like, wow, it's just so great. But also, hmm. Why do I feel like this? <laughs> Why do I feel more depressed? <laughs> The best way I can describe it is like it gives you some answers to life, but it also gives you some more reasons to feel sad. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. It's very true, truthful to life in ways that you 
probably don't want it to, but it's also very, it's just also heartwarming. Which I love movies like that, so I can't complain. It's the movies I grew up with, so. Yeah. These movies made me who I am, yep. and I, who I am is depressed. <laughs> Diagnosed. You're just like Frank, gay and depressed. <laughs> exactly, and a genius. And a genius. <laughs> So we'll move on to this one out of 10 stars from IMDb from 2007. Ridiculously overrated. I have to admit, I was drawn to this movie because of the great cast and a lot of positive word of mouth. I watched the movie in a very good mood, and when it was over, I said, what is the big deal? I did not laugh. I did not cry. I did not feel anything, except that I had seen this movie a dozen or more times already. It really was nothing special. Arkin's comedic performance was a rehash role that I've seen others play. I remember a film called Flirting with Disaster, which was kind of a road movie as well. It was better than this. Raising Arizona was much funnier than this. The so-called side-splitting ending with the dance of Super Freak was so tipped in commercials that you knew what was coming. Moreover, the dance just seems going and going. It got so tedious and unfunny. I'm sorry, I don't want to be a cynic, but this film is just being played up way too much, and I cannot believe that it was nominated for Best Picture. It was a weak year, but not that weak. I have to say, because we see people say this a lot, Mm -hmm. you cannot simultaneously be above things and also listen to what everybody is saying about something. You know, if you're going to come in with like, oh, well, everyone was saying it was so good. I think you would have learned by now that maybe you don't agree with everybody, dude. You literally listen to the masses about this one. And like they said, I don't want to be a cynic. Just say you, you are, though. You are, though. If you don't like this movie, you have you probably have to be a cynic. How could you not love this movie? I don't, you know, I, don't, I think they're right in being like, I don't, not, they're not a cynic. Because you listen to the masses. Cynics don't listen to the masses. You would have gone into this movie being like, well, it can't be that good, okay? Just because everybody likes it, it can't be that good. You know, just say like, I wasn't expecting this to be good. And it wasn't <laughs> coming guns a blazing motherfucker. Like, don't, don't go in like, oh, well, everybody said it was good. So I had faith in humanity. <laughs> Apparently you do not. But look at me. I'm different. And I think about this movie differently. <laughs> that's, it. that's how people sound so much when they say that. This It's supposed to be so, it's so funny. And I'm supposed to laugh so hard. But blah, 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 blah. like, OK, just go away. yeah go away okay (laughs) that was a good one (laughs) oh my god yeah Uh, this is this is the type of review where the point of this the the pageant thing went right over their head this didn't this went right over their head didn't even see the plane (laughs) anyway (laughs) they were on the plane yeah on the plane (laughs) missed it (laughs) this is a one out of ten from imdb titled humane humanly humanely humanly humanly and if it was humanely there would be an e in there Mm, i can't read (laughs) humanly and morally repugnant 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 if it was okay i'm not about to have a fucking (laughs) we're not gonna do hooked on phonics on this podcast okay that is repugnant and i'm not fighting you on it all right we'll go with that okay I believe that humanity and morality of a movie are valid aesthetic and artistic criteria, and among the most important. My rating of this movie reflects the fact that I find it repugnant. (laughs) You have the G's in front of the N. That's not... Okay. I I get it. I get it. I see it. I see it. I just... Told you we're not having a phonics lesson (laughs) right now. Talk about it after. Anyway, <laughs> the rating is reinforced <laughs> by the fact that it is technically so well made. Garbage is bad, but garbage in a pretty dress is even worse. Why do I find it re- repugnant? I need only mention the real hero of the movie and the character portrayed most sympathetically, the grandpa. A lascivious? Lasc- 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 
Less lascivious. 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 Promiscuous. 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 Foul mouth. Coke sniffing. Out of control addict. Foisting vulgarities and teaching his underage granddaughter inappropriate dance moves. Didn't you get totally sick watching the little girl trying to perform lewd dance moves like she is a hooker? Middle American values of clean families, striving for success, and yes, even beauty pageant for girls may be limited, but they are still infinitely better than the stuff of this movie and more beautiful. It's okay. Call the little kid sexy one more time. <laughs> That's basically, it's like, so you're, the point of the movie went right over their fucking head. Wow. So you watch that movie. You saw the girls in bikinis. You saw them caked up makeup. You saw them spray fucking tanning. So she's the she's the inappropriate one, but not what the other girls are doing. Interesting. Also, first off, he snorted heroin. If you're going to insult him, do it properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Middle American values include that those include beauty pageants and that beauty pageants are infinitely better than this movie and more beautiful just se- t- call the kid sexy one more time <laughs> call the kid sexy one more time we'll believe you after that one after yeah. that next time after the 10th time It'll you really, tell us we'll believe you <laughs> really drive the point home yeah so that was that one mm-hmm. move on four stars from letterbox so michael scott walter wright Hank Schrader, the pastor from There Will Be Blood, and the mom from Hereditary walk into a beauty pageant. (laughs) It's a crazy cast. Hank doesn't. He wasn't there, but he was in spirit. This next one's five stars. The last 20 minutes of this fill my heart with so much buzz and love and happiness and comfort and laughter. It's hard to put into words, but damn, girl's a super freak. (laughs) She's a super freak. Super Super freak. This next one's four and a half stars from Letterboxd. What the fuck? Gay, depressed, little sneak girl. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> half a star. Why do people like this movie? Oh, OMG, sneak girl, so depressed, poor guy. Don't care. Oh my god, he doesn't talk about talk because he reads Nietzsche. Don't care. Oh my god, grandpa died. Don't care. He was creepy. <laughs> he was not creepy. Crass, but not creepy. The only bad judgment thing was the dance that he taught all of. Yeah. Half a star. Really hate this movie, especially that dude who wouldn't, wouldn't talk all the way through it. Grow up, mate. <laughs> That's his journey. That is his journey. Oh, I love this one. This is such... <laughs> I fucking love this one. Half a star from Letterboxd. Paul Daniel looks like a Reddit mod. And I hate the stupid girl. The only good characters are the grandpa and the gay suicidal guy. <laughs> you know, interesting interesting point to come out from this. Yeah, sometimes people can't get on board with a dorky child that's a little, in real life, might be a little annoying. But Paul Dano does look like a Reddit mod. Half of no. this review is not wrong. I get it. I love how it's half a star in the first place, too. I, I'm on board for most of it, except for <laughs> I don't hate all of. I don't hate all of. I don't. Yeah. Half a star no <laughs> okay straight to the point straight to the point no i can mm-hmm. respect that okay i get that this is a one star little miss stinky <laughs> <laughs> um this is our last review I wanted to end with a letterbox one that's five stars. We talk so often on this platform about the films that give us pure joy. Well, this is that one for me. The one film from the moment it starts to the moment it finishes that I have a smile plastered across my face like the Joker. (laughs) Every moment, every shot, every single word uttered, and every single dance move here is sad and funny and clever and silly and ridiculous and pure, unadulterated, life-affirming joy. Give me Little Miss Sunshine or give me death. (laughs) There has never been and never will be a better use or delivery of the explicit fuck in cinema you can carve that out on a stone tablet <laughs> i love it i love this person i totally get it mm-hmm. <laughs> give me a little bit of sunshine or give me death yeah what would you rate this movie hmm i think i'm gonna give it like an eight out of ten it's hard not to find joy out of this movie 
Exactly. What about you? This is one of my top 10 favorite movies. This is your Citizen Kane? It might be, actually. It might be my Citizen Kane. This is a 10 out of 10 movie for me. That's not That's not surprising. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else that you wanted to add? I think I've said everything I wanted. Okay. So if you have any suggestions for us of movies that we should review in the future, please let us know. If you have any comments or criticism or anything that you want to tell us, if you want to send us a meme or something, you can reach us on our Instagram at Easy Big Takes. And we also have a TikTok at Easy Big Takes. We have our website, EasyBigTakesPodcast.com, where we post review overviews and transcripts from each episode. And we also have a letterbox account where we post those same review overviews. You can find us at Easy Big Takes on there as well. And don't forget to share us with a friend, leave us a review or a rating wherever you listen and like and follow because it helps us out a lot. And thank you so much for listening. My name is Kat. And I'm Riley. This has been Easy Big Takes. Easy watching out there. Bye. Bye.